Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another episode of our show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We are here on Election Day, Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. And from NJ to NC is the six-man Dean Geronimo. And I'm in the studio with my right-hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, tell me what's good in your neck of the woods, my brother. Hold on one second. You were just talking about the elections and all of that election stuff. I actually was one of those people that avoided um, avoided early voting and actually went out and voted on it today. So I actually was doing same day voting and all in that space. When I got there, I got there early in the morning, like around 8.30, 8.45. And the folks there were telling me that they were actually having a good turnout in my precinct, at least good for a midterm election. They were being quite pleased with 30%. You know, I know that a lot of folks in their dream worlds would love to see 70, 80, maybe even 100% participation with registered voters, but they were quite pleased with 30%. And that was at around nine o'clock. So, you know, the polls are uh, starting to close down and maybe they even got up to 40 or 50 percent, but they were quite pleased with that 30 percent earlier in the day. But, you know, I know a lot of people are also concerned because they're afraid of what the turning uh, outcome may be. I'm hearing rumblings of a certain person that was already being in an office, wanted to come back in office and said he might make an announcement on the 15th about his return and all along those lines. So we might have a uh, Frazier Ali bout and another rematch, just like there were those many rematches that took place in the boxing world. Maybe we're going to have the Frazier Ali rematches between Trump and Biden. So are they going to do like two, three, four fights, and you know, neither one of these are spring chickens, so they're going to be doing these fights well into their 90s. Can we expect these matches all the time to use that sports analogy and all along those lines, because like I said, they've already went toe-to-toe one time, and apparently it looks like Mr. Trump is saying that on the 15th, he might announce that it's time to go toe-to-toe again. I know a lot of people are worried about what happened, what may happen in the sense of who wins, who loses, whether we get gridlock, whether we figure out the economy, whether the pandemic is over, and a number of other things that are on people's minds. But most importantly, I think people are trying to figure out hey, we're in the middle of this recession, like they say we are, will we be able to uh, even get food? I heard somebody got in trouble for uh, suggesting that some of the uh, people needed to just go out there and buy some Chef Boyardee or something along those lines. It was one of those celebrities or or somebody in the um, space of being a notable that said, hey, maybe y'all need to get some Chef Boyardee or some of the other cheap foods. I remember, and I'm sure you do, Dean, that back in our college days, we used to eat ramen noodles on a regular basis. We would have to go back to those ramen noodle kind of days as well. I still eat ramen noodles. So, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so you know, I mean, hey man, it happens. It, it sometimes you can you can make a nice meal out of it, depending on what you put with it. So, you know, it, it, it can happen. It can it, definitely happen. But uh, you know, you got people saying they want to come back and run again. I don't know about that, man. Like, let that go, please. Let that go. We do not need you to come back. And after you know, all of the things that have taken place, eh, they let them come back. That's going to say something about how the government works. 
Maybe he's just happy. That, maybe he's now. just happy that Elon Musk is still going out into space and everything. Because I understand that they delayed one of the uh, space trips because of uh, some weather that's going on there in the Florida area and all along those lines. Because there's a storm that might be brewing, so I think that one of those space uh, ships is actually being put on hold. But Elon Musk did complete the deal of Twitter, and apparently he's trying to make sure that people are verified and wants them to be paid to be verified and all along those lines. So a lot of folks are looking at what he's doing, including doing a whole heap of firing when he came in. So it looks like he was doing that old-fashioned cleaning house and in that space. So people are definitely watching to see what Elon is doing and uh, how that's going to play out. But, you know, I think I heard that Kanye West and Mark Zuckerberg lost a whole lot of their money um, because of ventures that they had and things in that space. And also because they've been maybe uh, biting off more than they can chew in the sense of business ventures, or maybe they've been speaking about things that they didn't need to actually be talking about, like what Kanye was doing when he was making anti-Semitic remarks and all along that kind of way. But it is in some interesting times, and I'm not ready to write off, even though I know a lot of folks are glad to be out. I'm at the Haytai Center and definitely glad to be here, glad to see people coming here, and definitely people are making sure they got their mask and doing other kind of protections. But if you listen to folks, you would think that the pandemic is going to be over by the end of the year or the beginning of 2023. I'm not ready to declare that, even though I think Biden did declare it sometime back. But I'm thinking that we're still in the middle of this, and it might be going on for a while. But I don't know your thoughts. It's going to be here for a while. You know, you better you better get keep your hygiene up. Just don't right. get so relaxed that we're back at square one and back in March of 2020. You know, it's here to stay. I don't see it going anywhere. The best thing you can do is protect yourself and, and keep yourself protected at all times. But, you know, like, that's all you can really do. Um, we do have a guest this time, so yes. we have a, a, a guest waiting back in the studio. I'm about to bring him out, and I know he can probably hear the most of this conversation, and then he'll be able to join in. We have uh, Seth in Way, and, and we're bringing him into the studio now. <laughs> Sir, good evening or good afternoon, because I understand you're over on the West Coast, so it's about 420 right now. Mm, 421 to be exact 421 so yes sir yeah. welcome to straight talk with dina mark oh, appreciate you. you and seth is definitely uh i know that eris has been in touch with me about seth and seth is definitely in the creative space and you know i'm definitely a fan of the creators whether that's authors or whether that's musicians or other folks so seth i was definitely glad to uh get in touch with you and have uh, this opportunity i know we'll also be on some other shows as well but for those that are listening here on straight talk with dean and mark if you'll share a little bit of your story and your journey and then we'll just delve further into it but i'm sure that people will be fascinated by the many things that you are doing oh thank you thank you for the invitation yeah, so definitely share a little bit about what you've got going on in your world, because I know when I talked to Eris, she said that you've got all kinds of things happening, and that you're doing a lot of amazing things, but I'd love to hear your story about what you've got going on, and definitely, I'm sure Dean will jump in as well, and we'll learn more about the uh, many creative endeavors that you are out there doing. Oh, thank you. Yes, um, I'm a musician, author, and teacher. Uh, among other things. I tend to be sort of a renaissance man. Um, but uh, my passions are writing and authoring books and, and music. Um, uh, for me, it started out, uh, I was uh, pursuing music as a full-time career, as a professional, 
uh, drummer, um, percussion artist, uh, which I was quite successful. I did. I, I have to admit that that was a, a, a wonderful experience and time in my life. Uh, but I craved something deeper, you know, something a little more meaningful. And so uh, thus began my pursuit of the, uh, of the spiritual uh, depth in life, and uh, which led me to more of my writing uh, and authoring books. The interesting thing about that was that um, I spent a lot of time alone. Uh, there was a, a, a point in time where, in my life where I... Uh, just needed to remove myself from the um, the activity of life, the the mundane, the everyday thing, and I felt an urge or a prompting to go out into the woods and basically spend alone time with God, which I did for several years, and uh, lived pretty much off the land, more or less, and uh, I relied completely on God for my necessities and which she did provide uh, amazing journey um but during those times those alone times in prayer and fasting and in 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 reading and writing i discovered that the art form of drumming and music uh was uh, a part of the same source where my writing and authoring came from i learned that that uh uh, that that part of your soul that's creative and artistic comes from the same place. So when I started writing and focusing on on my writing, I realized that I had the same pleasure and enjoyment with writing and authoring as I did uh, with playing drums and music. Uh, so that was an interesting interesting uh, part of the journey. Yeah, um, definitely, yeah. as part of that journey, I'm sure that uh, when I talk to fellow musicians, a lot of times, you know, we've been seeing a lot of divisiveness in the world and everything. And I'm thinking that a lot of people are frustrated by that divisiveness. But I know that I've got a good friend of mine, Zach, who is a musician, and he oftentimes talks about the power of music and how it oftentimes gets us to be more unified. So I just wondered if you could speak to the importance of music and how music uh, maybe needs to be even used more than it even is, because music seems to be one of those great healing forces. If you are a funk musician fan or a jazz fan or a blues fan, it doesn't matter when you're at those concerts, you are there with like-minded individuals and you're not paying attention to their race, their creed, their religion, or their orientation, y'all are there sitting there enjoying the sounds. And if you're a musician, the same, you're vibing off of your audience and in that space. But I just wondered if you could speak to that, because I know when I have conversations with Zach and we were just actually listening to a song that he's going to be releasing uh, sometime in December, uh, and he's released several others with his band, Nappy Head Funk Army, that is definitely something that resonates with him and other musician friends of mine. But I'd love to hear your thoughts around it. Yes, uh, uh, that's a good uh, topic. It's a good discussion. Um, the interesting thing uh, about music, as you noted, is that it, it is unifying. And, uh, you know, you can be listening to an art, uh, an art form music, different styles and what have you. And um, you're not even thinking of race. You're not even thinking of, of any differences or, or any of that. None of that comes to your mind when you're listening to the music. Could be it could be an artist from Puerto Rico or you know anywhere in the world, and yet that 
that kind of thing doesn't come to your mind. You're just thinking about the uh, the art form and the music that's enjoyable. Um, it's funny how we, we are so divided when it comes to um, different things, business or, or, you know, different countries are, are uh, you know, arguing or, you know, having disagreements or there's discussion and difficulty, you know, and we, we have conflict and war. <clears throat> and, you know, it seems that we should be mature enough in our, in our um, history as humans to be able to recognize the difference between something that's productive and something that's destructive. And we haven't seemed to, we haven't gotten to that point yet. And I think music is one of the, one of the only uh, arenas or avenues uh, that can bind us and, and uh, put a stop or at least a pause to, to the nonsense and the, and the conflict. Yeah, no doubt about that. Music can definitely do that. At what point did you realize that you were going to have the musical career that you do have? And if you can just share a little bit about that career, because I know from talking to Eris that it was a very rich career and it is still a rich career. So I would love to know some of the folks that you've worked with and even when you first got involved in the music game and just uh, how you established yourself and even some of the advice that you give to others that are trying to make it, whether they are um, those that are more senior folks, because I do know some people that have had success that are just trying to rediscover their voice and maybe even come out again, even in their 60s and 70s. And of course, there are young people out there that are trying to make it as well. So I just wondered if you could share a little bit about your own advice and your own journey, but advice that you give to folks, whether they are musicians that are coming back into their musical career or those that are already um, young starts in their musical career, because a lot of times I think that that journey can start late and it can also start young. Oh, sure. Um, in, and even for myself, in, in, in a lot of ways, when it comes to my writing, um, I'm sort of a late bloomer when it comes to that aspect of my life. But the first thing I would say, uh, the first uh, you know, advice or, or uh, words of wisdom I, I would give in that area of music, if you're if you're involved or pursuing it, is first you have to have or you should have a love for the art form. Mm -hmm. You 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 must at least have a desire to do music just for the fact of doing music. If it gives you pleasure and you are uh, either singing or enjoying an instrument, uh, whatever the case may be. That you're doing it just for the the pure pleasure of the music as an art form. Uh, the success and all of those things come as a byproduct. You know, when you spend more time with your joy of music as an art form, of course you get better over time and you practice and that sort of thing. But when you have that that pleasure and that joy and that harmony with the art form itself then the byproduct of that is the success or the experience or the journey in music as a business. That's first and foremost. Um, the other thing is, is just to uh, network and get involved and, and uh, talk to, to folks, get out and go see some music, talk to fellow musicians, artists, get involved. Uh, and, uh, you know, the more you are involved and, and the more you have uh, a... Um, a network with other artists and musicians, the more you're going to get into the business and the industry itself. Uh, you know, you, you could be, uh, you know, like I was at, at times, you know, sort of a monastic, uh, 
you know, musician or teacher. And that gave me joy and it still does. Um, but if you're serious about the, the music aspect, uh, the business aspect of music, then yes, I would say those two things are first and foremost. Have a love for music and get involved and, and, and network. Yeah, that's very important and everything. When did you first know that you were going to be a musician? And like I said, I know that you've had a rich career and all in that space. And then, of course, I definitely want to hear about the authorship journey as well. But when did you first know that you were going to be a musician? Did you feel that kind of urge at a very young age, maybe even in high school or uh, if you went to college? college, Or is it something that developed uh, later on in life? Because I do know some people that became mm -hmm. successful much later in life and didn't even pick up their first instrument until they were well into their 30s or 40s. Mm. Yes, for me, it started early. Uh, I was around nine years old when I started playing. And uh, just uh, listening to, to music in general, you know, uh, just basic stuff. Uh, but I would say probably around 10 years old, 12, in that time frame, uh, my mother was dating a musician at the time, a guitar player. Mm. And she uh, brought me with her one time at, uh, to their practice. And that changed everything. That was pretty, uh, you know, transforming. Uh, being able to, to sit and, and see musicians individually playing an instrument and noticing that that they all are playing their own part their own individual piece and yet what you're hearing isn't their individual piece you're hearing a cohesive song music and that's how it's translated so you're experiencing that uh that uh di you know that uh, dichotomy that was pretty fascinating to me that's when i thought okay this is a real tangible art form i could actually do this i already had an interest and love for music <clears throat> but that i think that was the turning point for me you mm -hmm. know and, and from there i just uh, i just started playing regularly and and, and uh, met neighbors and friends that were in high school uh which by the way one of the one of the friends that i had uh during my high school years was frank hannon from tesla mm -hmm. and we yeah. used to you know walk home together and my mother used to give him rides home when we were, you know, when the weather was inclement and so forth. And after school, we would just sit and talk and, and talk about music. We would listen to records and and we would uh, exchange ideas. And, you know, we both were musicians and we, we played together from time to time. And uh, and then from there, I just uh, I got uh, got together with some guys and, and we formed our own band. And before long, I was I was playing at clubs and, and playing out. Around uh, 16, 17 years old is when my musical career got started uh, in, that, in, in the professional side of it. Yeah, you just mentioned something. You mentioned Frank uh, from Tesla and everything. And I know that a lot of times when we think about folks in uh, the business world, the entrepreneurial world, and definitely in the, these worlds, of technology and things that are becoming quite popular today. I do know that from my understanding of them and maybe not having as many friends in that space, but I do know some people that are in their architectural and legal professions and uh, medical professions. And quite often they do have some sort of um, music background to them. It might be as a hobby. It might be as something that's just a, 
devout uh, listener and all in that space, but I don't know that the schools recognize the importance of music even to developing critical thinking and to developing entrepreneurship. But I was wondering your thoughts around that. And do you think that our education system needs to do a better job of making sure to recognize the importance of music and even uh, the development of the arts in general into uh, developing well-rounded individuals, particularly with something that is very important to all of us in society, which is critical thinking? Yes, I agree with you uh, 100%. I, I think, uh, you know, it also depends on the institution. It depends on where you are. There are places and, and, and uh, schools that do a better job than others. But I think in general, we need to uh, promote uh, the art form, whether it's music, uh, painting, whether it's a different type of art, uh, to, uh, to give students um, options. Because one of the things that I teach in my at my retreat, uh, Waywoods Retreat, is uh, to help people discover their natural abilities and gifts, their natural talents, what they normally or naturally gravitate toward. And I think that's what we need to promote in in the school system, rather than the op uh, objectivity of of uh, basic, uh, you know, understanding of of of, of subject matter, you know. Yeah. Uh, we do need to focus on the, the full, the whole well-rounded, uh, you know, individual, the totality of the, of, of, of each student and music, I think is the create one of the, the, the best creative arts to, uh, discover that, uh, that creative side of you. Oh yeah. No doubt about that. Tell me about this retreat that you've got. Cause like I said, you mentioned it, I would be curious and I'm sure others would be interested as well. And is it only for those that are in the uh, kind of West coast side of the United States or is it something that is traveling and is it worldwide? And is it something that folks can catch on uh, zooms and things along those lines? So share a little bit more about what this retreat is all about. Sure. Um, well, it, 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 it's one thing that I sort of hinted on a little bit earlier, a part of my journey in the woods and all of that, uh, and my writing development, uh, which included a lot more than just writing. I had a lot of visions and so forth as well, which all, you know, plays a part of my writing uh, in regard to end times and, and whatnot. Uh, but um, uh, uh, so uh, one of the visions I had during those times was to, to have a place to help people uh, learn, for one, uh, basic survival skills, because I knew based on some of the visions that I saw that, that we would be entering into some very difficult and troubling times, that society as a whole would struggle and we would have a lot of difficulty. And this includes you know, politics uh, and it includes uh, the economic system and so forth. But what do people do when they can't uh, they can't work. You know, what do people do when COVID hits? You know, mm -hmm. where do they go? How do they, how do they earn money? What do they do? So um, even before that struck, um, part of the vision was, is to help people uh, learn how to uh, survive. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of people don't know how to build shelters or collect water or to uh, build a garden and harvest food and, and sustain themselves, you know? And so that's part of it is just the mundane, that I call the mundane. It's uh, the physical needs that we have for survival. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's part of the vision of Waywood's Retreat. Uh, the other part of it, it's three aspects. It's the physical, mental, and spiritual. 
And the mental, it focuses on making sure that you have an active mind, constantly growing and learning, reading, uh, putting, applying your mind to different things and, and uh, you know, um, challenging yourself in many ways. And a part of that is uh, those natural gifts and talents and abilities that you have to, to realize those, to discover those and pursue those rather than just getting a job and working or pursuing a career based on how much money you could make or, you know, this type of thing, um, that you actually know how to survive and then you can focus on your natural gifts and abilities and pursue those. The third thing is what puts everything together. It's that um, the spiritual part of it is that why are we doing this? What's the reason we're here? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? And um, that sort of just solidifies everything and gives you that core and that um, that base to know, you know, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm just not doing this to survive, you know. You, know, you actually mentioned that, and I'm definitely one that believes in ancestral connections. I have relatives of mine that are uh, very involved in the Native American side of our heritage and involved in the powwows and the sweat lodges and all in that kind of space and all in that way. So I do know that we have to be in a regular touch with our ancestors and get those spiritual messages on a regular way as well. But I was just wondering, what are some of the uh, things that you are seeing in your own vision, because you kind of alluded to some of them. And I'm just wondering, do you think that the uh, world and particularly the United States and the West is uh, prepared for it? Or do we need to get more uh, buckled up and ready for some of the things? Because I know that there's already people that are talking about recessions and we've already seen people that have been talking about the uh, divisive nature of some of the politics going on and just the divisiveness that's been going on in general. But I'm just wondering your take on that. And if you think that we are ready for the next step, whatever that next step is. I've even got some friends of mine that would say that they are definitely light beings and some that have even said that they believe that they have some connections to folks that are in other dimensions, whether that's other spaces or other uh, planets or whatever. I'll let the uh, listeners decide what I mean by that, but <laughs> they definitely have those kind of thoughts, but I'd love to know some of your philosophies and thoughts and how you feel we are going. Oh, yes. Well, uh, that's uh yes that's a can of worms <laughs> um goodness uh well um as a side note um uh, I, I just want to say that a wayward retreat is available to anybody and everybody from all places walks of life uh local regional um international i have a website and and as well as an authorship website uh that they can go to for, for more information about that um but i think honestly i think we're way behind I think we're we're far behind um, in the game than we should be. I think uh, we see a lot of developments um, surrounding us. We see a lot of improvement when it comes to technology, and we see all of these these things that make our lives more convenient. But we are missing the most basic and fundamental aspects of our life and that is to live in harmony and live with balance and peace and we neglect that in order to have uh, convenience and, and the choice uh, the choice is, is is that it's deteriorating our society and that's unfortunate um, you know um, third world countries and in those places that we judge because they live in, in small communities or tribal environments 
where they don't have the technology that we have, and yet they seem to have less war, less conflict, and less difficulties uh, than we do. You know, and we're missing that communal, that tribal uh, kinship that we used to have. And that's, that's really important too. That's one of the things that I emphasize is having a bond and a kinship uh, with others and developing a kinship that we depend on each other and we're here for each other. It's sort of a Christian philosophy too, you know, uh, gather together and pray for one another, let your requests be known and uh, sing songs to one another, you know. <laughs> you know, we don't see that too often anymore. Yeah. That's very much true and everything. We are also joined by Caitlin, and Caitlin's got an interesting story as well. And I know she had reached out to us and definitely wanted to uh, hear some of what she's got going on as well, because you just mentioned third world countries, and there are countries that folks uh, hear about, but they don't even know where they are located. And she's actually done some work in that because she was actually doing some work and research around Malawi and all in that space and definitely some of the maternal health is going on in there and I know maternal health has even been an issue here in the United States because there have been some concerns around the nature of uh, paternity health particularly in minority communities like the African-American and the Hispanic community and all in that kind of way but I'd love to hear some more of your journey uh, Caitlin and if you can just share a little bit about what you were doing in Malawi and how you even came around getting involved in that particular space. Hi, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's great to be here. Um, but uh, yeah, there's definitely, as, as you mentioned, there's um, a lot to unpack in terms of uh, the maternal health sphere in, in Malawi, which is uh, down in um, central Western Africa. Um, for those listeners who might not know where that is, um, it's just located right beneath Tanzania. Um, and it's this tiny little country that's super friendly and super peaceful and um, really just like a, a beautiful place to be. And uh, I had previously been to this country, to, to Malawi, back when I was 17. I did a six-week trip there. I was uh, working on building up some articles for my journalism career and I uh, had the opportunity to uh, shadow this organization and uh, go to a bunch of the projects that they were working on and um, just do a couple highlight articles on their projects. Um, it's a humanitarian organization called Emmanuel International. Um, and then stemming from that, I found out about this massive maternal health project that they were working on. And something about it just really, really hit my heart. When I was writing the preliminary article to this project, I thought, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I was looking at some statistics and um, I thought, you know, the world has to know so much more about this because I had no idea. And I think so many of my peers, especially in, um, in the privileged world, uh, you know, the Western world and the, it's easy to kind of stick your head in the sand or just, you know, hear statistics of, you know, poverty and malnutrition and, you know, um, uh, mortality and kind of go, oh yeah, but that, that, that's over there. It's not, it's not in our, in our country. It doesn't matter to me. Um, so my mission for this book and maternal health is really to um, bring, bring real life 
uh, stories to the statistics, you know, put a, a bit of a face and the real humanity to um, some of these heartbreaking numbers that you see about uh, the mothers and children who are just going without so and where it all stemmed from but yeah mm. um did you want me to go a bit more into some of the the stories that were there or? yeah there we go i'm sorry about that yeah, the computer was acting a little crazy and all of that might have to have Dean jump in because <laughs> it looks like you're on mute there, uh, Mark. <laughs> now I'll let y'all also talk as well. That sounds like fascinating your work. Oh, there it goes. Uh, hopefully hopefully it just stopped and everything. So hopefully that'll be a good thing. But definitely, I'm just curious when you got involved first in. <laughs> yep, um, definitely. Uh, uh, Caitlin, you're definitely doing some fascinating work. When did you first get involved in medicine and what drove you into the medical profession and all along those lines? Because like I said, and what about the third world countries was what drew you and all in that space. I would love to hear that. And I know that uh, Dean has joined and he's probably got some questions as well. And of course I got to do a little bit of technical clearing up stuff here as well. But I'd love to hear Caitlin about your involvement and how things were going in that space and how you got involved in this particular kind of work. Sure, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And uh, I'll first say, um, well, I'll confess, I'm actually, I'm not a medical professional. Good job here. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm not actually a medical professional. My husband is. He's a, he's a doctor here in Canada. Um, however, uh, I was really just drawn to these um, uh, the stories of maternal health, um, just as a, com a compassionate person. And I have a talent for writing, and I'm a professional writer by education. So I thought, you know what, as, as many journalists do, they, they find a cause that really uh, they can connect with and um, I really just pursued it. So um, yeah, so in, in Malawi and many third world countries, um, the statistics are, so uh, the World Health Organization put a bunch of statistics out at the, at the beginning of the century and uh, they, they discovered that 830 women die every single day due to preventable causes in pregnancy and childbirth. And I, you know, I was 18 or, or 17 at the time when I, when I read that and I thought, what, 830 women, you know, that's more, that's more women than I know in, in just my circles. And I thought, you know, these, these mothers could be, this could be my aunt, this could be this could be my my own mother. This could be me for all I know, like in the future. Um, and and I thought, oh my goodness, like this this is beyond what I ever ever knew. So, um, so yeah, I just I I went and um, and did a bit more of a deep dive and and realized that uh, there's a huge push in the in the new uh, millennium. Um, so back in 2000, 
um, the leaders of, of the world kind of got together and said, you know, what, what should we do to, to help this world grow and prosper and, and, you know, help the poorest of the poor. And one of them was, or two of them, one was to increase maternal health and increase uh, newborn and neonatal health. So I discovered a, a project that was working towards uh, pursuing those goals, particularly in Malawi, although there are many projects throughout the rest of uh, the world and particularly third world countries um, that uh, take care of those uh, different countries. But um, yeah, this particular project was going straight in deep into um, the villages and the communities in Malawi and really we're deep diving into uh, reconstructing the root of maternal health so that comes all the way down to um, teaching mothers and children you know the basics of uh, growing their own food so that they're able to make mm. sure they have proper nutrition and you know teaching them you know providing them with the the medical supplies that they'll need to give birth in, in a clean environment and in a um in a in a more sustainable environment um it's it's educating midwives and nurses on you know emergency medicine so like breech birth or what what it takes to do a, a cesarean section um and, and all of those are really just saving so many lives and, and enhancing so many lives um, just across the world and, and in Malawi in particular. No, no doubt, Caitlin. Yeah, no doubt, Caitlin. I was actually talking to a friend of mine a couple of days ago and they were actually thinking about, because uh, they are a mother and a grandmother and they were actually thinking and they love uh, newborns even at their um, mid 50 age and all in that space are actually early 50s i guess is where they're at right now but they were saying that they didn't even realize what a doula was and that's actually something that they're thinking about training into going into and i do know that doulas and that kind of uh, practice is very common in some of the african nations and all in that line but i was just wondering do you think and this is actually for both of you that that's something that we need to be more in tune with is uh our connection to nature and also our connection to uh, these kind of uh, careers that are outside of the uh, technological and the more traditional kind of careers. Cause like I said, this particular friend of mine has been in both um, insurance as well as car dealerships and definitely has a, uh, to your point, Seth, a, a career in uh, singing because they're actually a gospel singer and all in that space. But I do know that in our conversation this Saturday that we're talking about how connected they are to young people, even though their own children now are old and having their own children of their own. I think she's got four uh, kids, two boys and two girls and about, I want to say nine grandchildren all together or some significant amount. Mm. But she still mm. loves kids and would love to be able to take care of kids because there are people that are natural nurturers and we know that there are natural nurturers mm -hmm. both in among men and women so sometimes those are careers because i even mm -hmm. knew a gentleman that had thought about being a doula as well so i just wonder some of y'all's thoughts around that as something that people might want to explore and just the need to look into things like that and to have that connection to mother nature and to our divine self either one of you Yes. Uh, okay. That's, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that can be said there. 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, there are groups of people that are getting more involved in uh, living off of the land, um, you know, learning uh, that sort of, uh, you know, self-sustainability all over again. Uh, there are people that are, uh, you know, some some of them are called preppers, you know. <laughs> They're starting to, to gravitate into, um, you know, more rural areas and learning uh, like a lot of Native Americans, they know uh, they know about the medicinal quality of plants and trees and and that sort of thing, and they thrive. Um, and uh, some people are getting back to uh, natural living and doing their best to be, um, you know, uh, self reliant and learning learning um, you know how to do these things. That we lack uh, again. That's one of the things that we struggle with when times get difficult, and we do, we don't have basic needs, uh, basic uh, uh, abilities. Uh, then we're left with what do we do now? We look for another job, or we try to find work, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but I think if uh, nature tends to work automatically, <laughs> nature doesn't need help from us. Although we do tend nature. You know, we're meant to be stewards of nature. We're meant to be tenders of nature. But at the same time, if we if we just focus on the things that we naturally are good at and we focus on those things that just come along automatically, I think we'll we'll find that nature gives gives us, uh, uh, you know, provides a way for for those things to take off and and to flourish um, instead of focusing on money and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I totally agree with you on on, on that uh, perspective in that um, we have so much to learn from nature and so much mm -hmm. to learn from, you know, creation and um, just the world around us just left to its own devices. There's just, it, it certainly flourishes on its own. Um, there's that, certainly is something to be said for, um, you know, you know, scientific, um, uh, like um, scientific uh, jobs and you know things that kind of have taken what we've learned from nature and advanced it more into you know the society that we know today. Um, but there's definitely you know a, a point where maybe we go too far, or we kind of forget how beautiful and how educational nature can be. Mm. Um, so it's it's always so important. Um, to go back to just the roots of of our lives and and where we came from and where we're going. Mm. Indeed, absolutely, indeed. Yes, you know, technology has a place. Uh, there's room for technology, but again, uh, what I, uh, Mark and I were discussing earlier is that technology tends to uh, uh, wean us to lean us on the side of uh, convenience, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, science and the advances we've made have given us uh, knowledge and have helped us in many ways. But uh, why, why does the majority of society feel still feel the same inside? You know, we're not addressing the, the inner self uh, that needs to be addressed more than the outer self. We tend to focus too much on the externals and the things that are temporary. Um, 
the best things in life are, are the things you don't pay for, you, think, <laughs> you know, that are free. Um, and the focus should be on the things that are eternal, the things that are uh, all-encompassing and uh, beautiful, like you said. Uh, love, for instance, you know, uh, do unto others as you would have them do to you. You know, um, the greatest the precept in Scripture is to love God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, we tend to put science and, and technology first, and then we put convenience and all these other things, you know. Uh, and the thing about it is, is if we put if we put things into perspective and we put first what's meant to be first, the, the other stuff is going to come. The other stuff is going to come on its own. We just need some faith. Do you think that there'll ever be a time where we actually put that into practice? Because, it, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done. You know, we know it and other people know it, but then all of the material things get in the way. And if we allow it to, uh, that's true. They, they can be a distraction. You know, uh, the world, the external things can be a distraction. Uh, but again, when we focus on the internal life, the internal balance, the internal peace, the things that are inside of us, uh, what does scripture say? It says that the kingdom of God is within you and all around you, <laughs> you know. So the thing about it is, is, is our, our internal, our internal world dictates our external world and not the opposite. Right. Sure. And yeah. we tend to be backwards in that in that area. Everything that you're saying right now is bringing me to the verse, uh, set your mind on things above, the mm. peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that it really just echoes what you're saying there, Seth, um, mm -hmm. about, you know, focusing not simply on, you know, what's in front of you and in the palm of your hand, but putting your, your, yourself ahead and on things you know, internally right. or above, which would be, you know, heavenly and yeah. I think though we all go through um, like cycles, you know, where, where sometimes you'll go through a stage in life where you're so far, you know, behind where you think you should be. And you think, oh, I've got so many bad habits. All I do is, you know, I'm only focusing on my moment to moment and, you know, and then, you know, months go past or weeks go past and you center yourself again and you, you know, can take a deep breath and, and then you're, you're working more towards, you know, where we want to be. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of people go through those like peaks and valleys, as we say. Yeah, you know, Caitlin, no doubt about that time. And then I had to bounce off. There's a lot going on here and everything. But one thing that I was going to say is that I know that we're going to go into the holiday spirit and a lot of times people will be thinking about new year's resolutions and a lot of times we will set those resolutions and a lot of times we wind up breaking those resolutions because we don't really have a focused plan and in that kind of way so i was just wondering even in the various podcasts that me and dean have done and some of the other ones that i've been part of we oftentimes talk about that imposter syndrome where a lot of times you let those inner voices get in your way, but also that outer critic. It sounds like uh, 
Caitlin, you have a very supportive husband and it definitely says you've got some people behind you as well. But we also know that there are people even in our own circles that can uh, be um, the uh, negative nannies and can definitely uh, get us to, into our own heads and all of that. So I just wondered for both you, uh, Caitlin and Seth, how do you deal with that? And how do you deal with uh, those folks um, that might be turning you in a negative direction or that are even your your own internal conversations. We have that internal conversation on a regular basis. I just wondering how you cope with that. I think uh, the, the most important one is to identify that it is a negative critic um, or even in, within yourself, this is negative self-talk. Uh, because the second that you identify, hey, this is not encouraging, this is not, you know, helping me move forward, then it's so much easier to dismiss or to use it as fuel to move ahead. Um, so, and then the second point would be to use it as fuel. So I once had a, a somebody very much doubt, you know, that I would be able to write a book or that, you know, this, um, like my, just my career goals would ever come to pass. And it, you know, it knocked me down for a little bit at first, but no, it's it's so uh, rewarding to think that I could and at any point go back to them and say, look, you're wrong. Look at me like I'm proving you wrong as like as I go along. And uh, yeah, so just using that inner critic and that external critic to say, no, 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 no. Let me yeah. let me show you what I can do. Yep. Yeah. Definitely, Seth, and I know we only could get you for a short time, and we're actually going to wind down very shortly and everything, but how do you deal with that inner critic? Because even in the music field and even as you have gotten into your book, and I definitely want to hear more about the nature of the book and all in that space, I'm sure there have been folks that have been like, look, you've already been in the music lane. Why are you thinking about writing a book? Why are you even thinking that this is something that you would want to do at this point? in your life and i'm sure that there have even been times that you've had your own self-doubts i know that there have been jobs that i have not gone for and have let my inner critic uh win the victory as they say but i was just wondering how you've dealt with that and also if you can just share a little bit about the uh, nature of this particular book that you have got coming out okay uh, a very good question can you hear me okay yep loud and clear okay very good um well uh the writing uh, and my authoring uh, sort of happened more organically. It wasn't something that I aspired to uh, to pursue or, or to be an author. Um, music was always there. Music was always a part of my life and uh, the professional side of it and touring and recording and all of that. <clears throat> but again, uh, my writing developed from my time in the woods where I was uh, just in in a prayer time in, in a prayerful state of mind and uh, uh, a lot of fasting, a lot of praying, just really opening myself up. Um, one of the things that I that I say is sometimes you need to empty yourself in order to be filled. And that was part of the experience. And um that's why I was saying earlier that writing came from the same place that my music and my drumming came from. I learned that it was the same thing. It wasn't any different. It was just a different outward expression of the same internal drive or, or, um, you know, a core. And, uh, 
So uh, during these times, uh, a lot of alone time with God, a lot of prayer, uh, a lot of supplication, um, and just being open to be led or to be, um, to, you know, to absorb or to be open to, to you know, whatever uh, took place at that time. <clears throat> and uh, because I was already knowledgeable and already experienced in, in theology, I come, I, I've got a degree in theology, um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, that was always a fascination and a pursuit, you know, to be, you know, a scholar, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that sort of thing. But, um, um, yeah, the book, uh, the book and the writing developed just from that organic experience, just from being, uh, you know, still before God and just allowing that process to take place on its own. And it started out with just writing letters. Uh, I, I just began to have an urge or be prompted to write letters to churches or the church at large because I knew things were coming and things were going to get difficult and the importance of being prepared when it does happen and when things do get complicated and difficult, you know, such as COVID. Um, and so a lot of those those writings developed, uh, the letters developed, and I had several of those that were important, but they were all basically on the same topic, on the same subject, which is to remind the church, remind Christians, remind the body at large and the spiritual community how important it is to be in tune with God, to be, have a strong faith. And to be ready for when times get difficult, because that's the thing you should cling to the most is your spiritual connection, is your faith. You have something that you know is beyond you and that things are going to work out one way or another. You don't have to be afraid and scared of, of the things around you because your life on the inside is solid and secure. Uh, so it's a, it's a reminder. Uh, my writing is a reminder to uh, believers to the church to spiritual people about that very thing oh, that makes sense and, along those same lines i was just wondering this is actually for both you and caitlin uh one of the things i know people including myself get frustrated with the church and religion in general is that it sometimes gets caught up and this isn't in all faith it's not just a christian thing it's even in the islamic church and in some of the eastern european philosophies and everything is um that the extremes seem to win out and a lot of times the uh, actual empathy is not there enough in the church and a lot of the churches get caught up in the uh kind of the cult of personality so they get caught up in the personality and not the actual mission of church and all of that i actually consider myself more spiritual than religious but i definitely think that we need to be in tune to all of the aspects of ourselves meaning our mental our physical our emotional and our spiritual journey and all along those lines, I actually mentioned earlier about how I feel connected to ancestors that have moved on and they are continually moving on. But I always feel a connection to them even after they have gone and definitely tried to garner the lessons that they have given me. And sometimes those lessons come in dreamland and all in that space. But I'm just wondering your thoughts and whether you feel that that's something that we as a humanity need to do a better job of, which is uh, actually having that empathy and being concerned about things that are taking place. I find it a crying shame that there are homeless people here in Durham, North Carolina, as well as in Los Angeles and other places that are supposed to be very much uh, Western and that shouldn't be happening. But I was just wondering both of your takes on that. 
Um, well, um, the book, uh, The Prophetic Word of Voice, uh, which, by the way, is available on Amazon, um, addresses a, a lot of those topics, um, how important it is to maintain faith and to um, to be uh, absorbed in your spirituality, to be absorbed in God. <clears throat> and um, we, again, we, we could do a better job. Of course, we can do a better job as a society as a whole. Uh, we're neglecting the things that are most important and focusing on the, on the temporal. Uh, there are some, and there are groups, and there are individuals, uh, Caitlin included, that are focusing on what's important and trying to make a difference, doing, doing our best to make a difference. And I think that's what it comes down to, is that we see the need, we see issues, and we see a lack of uh, these issues being addressed, and there's a prompting and an urge to do something about it. Um, and, you know, one person, yep. one person can make a world of difference. You know, look at, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, look at Gandhi. Look at look look at people who have made a difference. Just one person uh, having an influence on society, you know. And uh, you know, we just need to wake up. We need to, to to be aware. We need to focus on what's important and remind each other how important it is to to uh, be concerned and have empathy, and 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 love is the answer, you know. If we if we love, we cast out all fear. If we love, you know, we're expressing yeah, no doubt. I know we've only got. No doubt, I know we're winding down. I think. Uh, yeah, no doubt, and I know that we've only got a few minutes left. But I'd love to hear Caitlin's thoughts and any of the things that she's got going on as we wrap up. And Dean may want to come in and give us his usual amazing closing and all in that space. But definitely, I've enjoyed the conversation, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about the importance of us being in tune with all the elements of ourselves. So, Caitlin, any words of wisdom that you would like to share? And definitely, if you can tell folks, both of you, how they can reach you, particularly you in Canada and you, Seth, over there on the West Coast, but if folks can learn how they can reach you and be in touch with all the amazing things you're doing. Hmm. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I guess for the tail end of, of your question, um, you can reach me. I'm, I'm on Instagram at Caitlin Arlene, uh, or you can follow my website, which is CaitlinArlene.com. Um, my book, Mama, which is which it's called Mama, True Stories of Maternal Health in Malawi. That's available on Amazon um, or really anywhere that you buy a book in Barnes and Nobles, uh, wherever. Um, so yeah, you can order that as well. Um, but to kind of circle back to your question about, um, you know, the, the negative voices uh, uh, around spirituality or religion or, or whatever, uh, it is often that uh, those extremist voices that kind of put a bad picture in your mind uh, mm. towards faith is they're just so loud and it is really it takes a lot of courage to kind of step out of beyond their loud you know discouraging voices and say hey actually you know I'm a compassionate person and I don't believe in that and mm. you know tender voices uh, 
are quieter and they're harder to hear, but uh, um, kind of like what my, what my book is all about and kind of my philosophy uh, for my writing is to really just expose those tender voices and, and uh, help foster a sense of compassion to, to people of all faiths and, and backgrounds and, you know, walks of life and, and uh, this kind of draw a bit more empathy to the people that are suffering and, and need, you know, peace in their life and, and, uh, and help in, in any way. So, hmm. yeah. And for me, uh, you can reach me at sethenway.com, uh, S-E-T-H-E-N-W-A-Y. Uh, dot com and uh, my retreat is waywoodsretreat.com and I also have uh, you know social media and uh, you know Facebook and Twitter and and all of that as well um, you know uh, just reach out to me for whatever reason if you need prayer if you want to talk if you if you want to uh, look up my my information or or uh, you know uh, purchase the book any anything like that as well um, I'm open to any kind of comments or suggestions or uh, anybody who wants to get involved. Uh, we all need each other, and uh, that's what makes the world go around. It's all about relationships, you know, even even in work, in the workplace, and, and wherever we are, it's all about connecting. It's all about relationships, and uh, uh, hopefully we can we can just do a little bit better uh, every day to, to, to uh, practice that precept. You know, my, one of my definitions of success is that you're a better person to today than you were yesterday and uh if we can do that then my goodness where would we be in five years <laughs> uh oh looks like Mark, you're you're muted. <laughs> no doubt, a great conversation. Looking forward to having both of you back on, Dean. I'm turning it back over to you, and hopefully you'll give us that piece. But I think that both Seth and Caitlin have delivered some very powerful conversation, and all along those lines. So I'm turning it over to you, Dean, and I know that you're going to give us that amazing closeout. I've got some other things going on with Pod TV and some of the other things that I'm involved in, but the building as well. But always good, and us, you and me. So it's good to have some other voices here. And definitely, I think that yes, Caitlin and Seth gave us some different insights and some different uh, kind of perspectives that are always good to have. So I'm going to let you do your amazing closeout. Okay. Well, Seth and Caitlin, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's the six man Dean Geronimo. And hopefully, all of those uh, of you that are listening, if you're in the continental United States, you took the time to exercise your right to vote. A voteless people is a hopeless people, and doesn't matter your party affiliation, you have that right to express how you feel and which way you feel that our elected officials should go. Um, be sure to stay tuned. We'll be back um, probably in a couple of weeks. And until then... It's the six-man Dean Geronimo, and when you walk outside your front door, it's showtime in the world. It's your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, it's the six-man Dean Geronimo for Mark Lee and for our guests, Caitlin and Seth. Thank you, and have a good evening.
It's Straight Talk with Dean and Mark, now on the Anchor platform. Be sure to catch the replays on the Skyhawk Radio Network. If you miss those, we have replays on Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, Castbox, Podfollow, Deezer, GeoSaven, and right here on Anchor. We are also part of the Level Podcast Network, where you can catch other exciting shows such as The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, The Chef Gang Radio Show, Funk from the Front Seat, Funk Music with Zach, Learning Unwrapped, Let's K-12 Better, Marketing with Russ aka Hashtag Russ Selfie, Mona Shake and the Minority Report, Mullings, Music and Memories with Mark Lee, The Online Dinner Party with Mark Lee, The Plant a Good Seed Podcast, The Reinvention Road Trip, She's on Call, The Just Podcast, The Mark Lee Show, The Spin It Social Hour, Virginia Interfaith Live, On the Couch with Dr. Diamond, Candid Conversations with Dr. Diamond, and of course, Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. Like Dean Geronimo always says, when you walk outside your front door, it's showtime and the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. On behalf of the sixth man Dean Geronimo and Mark Lee, have an outstanding week and be sure to catch us on the next show.